Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, uh, I would invite you to turn it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't know where that is, it's pretty close to the end. Uh, We're going to be in verses 16 through 18 in 1 Thessalonians 5 today. And as you turn there, my name's Tyler, like Andy said. I'm the associate pastor of youth and community groups here. And if you've heard me preach before, there's like three things I always say, and they're just as true today as they always are. Um, I talk really fast, and I try to slow down for you guys. Uh, I'm really honored to be preaching, and I'm really nervous. So hopefully someday the nerves go away. I don't know if they will. Hopefully someday my voice slows down, but I am honored to be here. So thank you for allowing me to preach. Um, I want to, I hope you found First Thessalonians 5. Um, I want to talk about why I chose this passage to preach on, but I think it makes more sense to do that after we've read it. So uh, if you're able, could you stand in honor of God and his word? Uh, I'm going to read these verses and then I'll pray. So First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for being the power at work within us. Uh, thank you that even though I don't really have the words to say, uh, your spirit's at work within me. I pray that it'll be your spirit speaking this morning. Uh, I pray that you will bless this opportunity that you've given me and allow me to honor you with it. I love you, Lord. Amen. Yeah, you can sit down. So why are we here? First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Um, to be honest, when Matt asked me to preach this week, I really had no idea what I wanted to talk about. And so I was studying and thinking. And I thought about verse 17, pray without ceasing. And I was reflecting upon my experiences with that verse. And I realized that I have only one. And it's a dumb joke. So growing up in my, I went to a free church growing up, uh, in my circles, the only time this verse was ever quoted was when me and my friends would go out to eat and somebody would forget to pray. And we, you know, being the good evangelical high school students we were, we said, you didn't pray. And they would look at us and they would give a little smug smile. I did this plenty of times. And I would say, well, I pray without ceasing. What's your excuse? <laughs> that, that's all, that's like all of the exposure I had to this passage. <laughs> Um, and as I thought a little bit more, I, I realized that I have no idea what it means to pray without ceasing. I had like no, no context for that. And so I started studying it. And then in, in the process of discovery that happens when you're studying to teach or preach, I almost, I started to gain more questions than I had had before. Actually about verses 16 and 18, the, the rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances thing. And they actually, those two started to bother me a little bit. Um, because they almost seemed like, like as a command from God to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances, like that almost felt a little bit insensitive to me or a little bit naive to be told to rejoice no matter what I'm dealing with or give thanks in every single circumstance. Um, so because I was confused, I figured I had a sermon topic. So here's, here's the plan for the morning. Uh, I want to give context on the letter of 1 Thessalonians. I think that's really important. 
Um, so we'll talk about why Paul wrote this letter. Uh, and then I want to address this question of insensitivity I had. Uh, but before I do any of that, I'm preaching on a passage that says pray without ceasing. So I think I'm going to pray one more time. I hope that's okay. Um, so if you'll bow your heads one more time with me, you can stay seated for this one. Lord, I thank you again for your strength and your joy. Um, I thank you that you work through even human weakness to accomplish your purposes. Um, and I pray that this morning that you will be glorified. Uh, I thank you for the, that you've been glorified through the announcements and the singing and the prayers. Uh, and I pray that you'll be glorified to the, through this sermon as well. I love you, Lord. Amen. So context. Why, uh, why do we have this letter? Why is Paul writing to the Thessalonians? You don't need to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to tell you the story of, of how this letter came to be. Uh, the story we have about it is in Acts 17. Uh, Paul is on one of his... Oh, Paul wrote this letter, by the way. Uh, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, going around, planting churches, preaching the gospel. And he comes to Thessalonica, home of the Thessalonians. And it says he came to Thessalonica and he preached for three Sabbath days. So probably about three weeks. And after he'd been there for about three weeks, he apparently was having some success because the Jewish people in the Jewish synagogue in the town became jealous. And so these Jews formed an angry mob and tried to kill Paul. And he was run out of town. He, I think, escaped like under cover of night, maybe even in a basket over a wall. I, that came to me at this moment. I could have that wrong. But he was there for three weeks and then got run out of town by a jealous crowd of Jews, an angry mob. And so, obviously, as a result of that, Paul is concerned for the Thessalonian church. This church is three weeks old, and they just lost their pastor, their church planner, their primary teacher, like all in one. He's just gone after three weeks. And obviously, in Thessalonica, it wasn't a welcoming or friendly environment for Christians at this time um, because of the whole angry mob that I was just talking about. And so Paul's concerned about them. He's concerned that they might have folded. He's concerned that they might have uh, lost the faith and just moved on. And so with his concern, Paul does something. He sends Timothy, who Paul is like Timothy's father in the faith, um, told him about Jesus. He said, Paul sends Timothy to uh, Thessalonica to see how the church is doing. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we, we get Timothy's report uh, in the words of Paul. And when Paul gets this report, he's overjoyed because he finds out that even through their trials, even through only having Paul there for three weeks, the church is persevering. They're still pursuing Jesus. They haven't folded into the culture around them. And they even fondly remember Paul. Like they remember Paul as, as like a good, helpful guy that helped them get their start. And this is the context that we get First Thessalonians. And you can see it in the way Paul writes. Paul's writing like a proud father. Like he, he's, he's very, very thankful that this little church has persevered. And 
he's anxious to encourage them to continue on. He wants them to continue in the faith. And so it's to this end, it's in this context that we come to our passage where Paul urges the Thessalonians to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for that's God's will for them in Christ Jesus. And so we come to my question. This command to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, is it insensitive? Is it insensitive for Paul to ask the Thessalonians to do that, even in their very difficult and painful and persecuted situation? I want this to be personal for us as well, um, and I think it is. Uh, you, you really you cannot do this with every, every passage of the Bible, but I think this is a, a relatively universal command. Um, in, in this case, I think it's fair to, to ask the question, why would God command us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances? So why could this be insensitive? For me... This, this little prick that I got when I started studying this and kind of digging in, uh, it, it, it came from my view of God. Um, actually, the, the view of God that Andy was just praying about, that he is, he is high and transcendent and lifted up and above us. Um, he's, he's so high and above and like other world, like a completely different being that for him, for, for that guy who's up there to tell me, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. It almost seemed like kind of trite. Like it, it's, it's an easy for you to say kind of situation, right? Like God is up in heaven. He's got angels with six wings covering their, hand, their faces and their feet, flying around him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like, yeah, it makes sense that that guy's rejoicing and giving thanks all the time. But I'm a human being. Like I, I go through painful situations. There, there are lots of times when I don't feel joy when I, when I don't want to be thankful. So how can the transcendent God who's way up here speak into my situations down here? That was, that was the rub. And before, before I jump to a response, I want to make something like really, really clear. Um, I, you all likely know this, but I think it's worth saying. I don't know your situations at all. Like, I know that I've had to deal with difficulties in my life that, that bring this question out in my heart, but I also know that most of you have gone through much harder things than I can imagine. So, really what I'm saying is, like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't understand your lives. However, the, like crazy and wild and spectacular and beautiful thing is that even though I cannot possibly understand your struggles, like I don't know them, the, the transcending God actually does. He understands them because he is transcendent. That's completely true. Like I'm not saying he's not high and lifted up and above, but he's not only that. God is transcendent and yet he's also imminent. He's, he's deeply involved with humanity. Like he is, he is both high and above and right beside you. And in this case, when we think about, when we think about God's imminence, God understands your pain and your suffering and your struggles 
And actually, he understands them and then some. Because God himself, in the man Jesus Christ, experienced the deepest possible human suffering. He, he lived a sinless life. He was crucified on a cross. And he took the full wrath of God upon himself. So I don't understand anything that you've been through. But God himself understands it and more. Getting that picture <laughs> answered my original question and yet created another. In, in the question of is God insensitive, I think in light of the fact that Jesus himself took all of our pain and our struggles and our sorrows and our sin onto himself and experienced the wrath of God, I think that eliminates the, the possibility that he just doesn't get it because he gets it plus. But for me, that, like I said, created another question. Is, is God, is Jesus practicing what he preaches? Like if we're being told to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, is that something that Jesus did his entire life, his entire experience, even on the cross? And on first glance, to me, it doesn't totally look like it. Like when I look at Jesus on the cross, I see a man who is acting very faithfully and very kindly, right? Like as he's being oppressed, he, he, he prays to God, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. He, he's still acting faithfully and he's still even being incredibly kind. Like with, with the thief on the cross, he points this thief to the very God whose wrath he's taking at that moment. Like Jesus is still acting faithfully and he's still acting kindly. But when I look at him on the cross, it, my, my quick twitch was not, that guy looks really joyful and thankful at this precise moment. So that was, that was my, new, my new rub, my new question. I think in moving into that discussion, I still have not found the correct way to phrase this, but I, like waterology, the study of water, that, that's where this example is coming from. I don't know if there's a better name than waterology. I'm sure there is. Um, for the, the most helpful thing for me in, in, in thinking about Jesus on the cross and how we can see him as rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances is uh, the, the concept of currents or undercurrents. It's the type... If I'm not pronouncing undercurrents very well, it's the title of the sermon, Undercurrents of Joy. Um, but if you're familiar with currents and undercurrents, this might be review. If you're not, I have a story to illustrate this idea. So a couple weeks ago, me and some friends went river tubing. We, we went to Walmart, we bought some $6 tubes, we blew them up, and then we floated down a river. It's a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Um, when we got our tubes and we got to the river, we became concerned because the river we were floating down starts in Lake Mille Lacs, it goes to the Mississippi, flows north to south. But when we walked up to the river, we looked at the wind and we looked at the waves and we looked at the water and it really, 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 really looked like it was flowing from south to north. And so we, we almost 
didn't get on the water because we were worried we had its direction wrong and we didn't want to float away from our cars downriver. But we, we put our tubes in the water, we stepped out in faith, and we sat down, and sure enough, we started flowing south. The, the point of this story is that so, sometimes an undercurrent is not visible, but it's always there. Like, even though the wind was blowing all of the waves to look like the, the water was going the opposite way, the undercurrent was still there and it was still going the, the correct direction. Now, moving away from waterology, back to Jesus on the cross. When we see Jesus on the cross experiencing the deepest suffering that any human being ever has, we can see the undercurrent. We can see it, we can see it bubbling up. We, as he forgives his oppressors, as they're oppressing him, as he points the thief on the cross to God, we can see that undercurrent of hope, and I would even say joy, to be able to do that in that moment, welling up in the life of Jesus, even on the cross. I, I don't think this idea is only found at Jesus on the cross, or only found in 1 Thessalonians 5. So, I think we can see it preached about, and I think we can see it lived out all over the New Testament. I'll give you an example of each. So one example of it lived out is in Acts chapter 5. Again, you can turn there if you want. Um, I'm going to read one verse, but I have it from memory. So, um, In Acts chapter 5, the church is growing. It's in the process of expanding from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria out to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 5, the, the apostles get in trouble for, for fulfilling that mission. Uh, they're, they're preaching the gospel, and they're brought in to some of the authorities, and they're flogged. They're beaten, and they're commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. In Acts 5.41, as the apostles leave, it says that the apostles went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That verse uh, throws me for a loop every time. They went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. If you were to look at the apostles on like lashing 19, like as they're in, in mid-flog, I don't think you would see a lot of joy or thankfulness on their faces in that moment. I would just assume not. However, even though at that moment, the current maybe seemed like it was going south to north, as soon as they leave, you see the current come right back up and they go away rejoicing because they're worthy of suffering. So I think we see this idea in the lives of the apostles. I think we see this preached as well. I, I found a few places that I thought were helpful. The, the, the most helpful to me was uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, it says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Again, as I read that, and as I think it through, and as I read people smarter than me as they talked about it. It doesn't seem like James is speaking of your, your fleeting emotional experience. It doesn't seem like he's saying at the moment of trial, be happy. However, 
it does seem like he's saying that even in those circumstances, as we, as we look forward at trials, as we look back on them, and as we stare them directly in the face, that they are to be considered opportunities to have joy and to be thankful because we're developing in perseverance. So I think this is something that is preached in the New Testament. I think it's something that's lived out, and I think we see it in Jesus, this, this idea of, of undercurrents. Now, I have to make a side comment before I go any farther. Um, this, this probably isn't your lead-in if you're with somebody who's suffering. Um, when, you, when you go to somebody who's just experienced something catastrophic or traumatic, the lead-in should always be your, your loving presence, um, not an exhortation to be joyful at every single second. I mean, it's, it's completely true. And yet... We want to exhibit love for people and meet them exactly where they are. So I'm not saying that uh, as you, if you walk through a hospital, you should be calling out, be joyful at this moment. But what I am saying is that as we seek to understand God's will and as we seek to see how that's communicated through Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, it looks like Christians are supposed to have undercurrents. And specifically undercurrents of joy and thankfulness that go beyond our circumstances. Actually, this idea, like this concept really helped me understand verse 17, uh, which, if you remember, pray without ceasing, had no context for it before preparing this message. And I think part of the reason I, I had trouble with it was I was like, that's impossible, right? Like that, if not impossible, it's completely impractical to be speaking prayers at all times. Like, even if I could, like, would I? Because th- there are so many other things and, and a lot of really God-honoring things that we do that take our time. Like, it, the, the, the cleanest, like, easiest example is me right now preaching, right? Like, if I was trying to preach this sermon and yet also speak a prayer the whole time, it would sound like gibberish, Maybe, it, maybe I'm faster than I think and it sounds like gibberish anyways, but it would really be gibberish if I was trying to say two things at the same time. And yet, like, it, I don't think it's unfaithful for me to be preaching this sermon, right? It, it just is impractical to be speaking a prayer at every moment and yet also seeking to glorify God through, through giving a sermon. But... When we, when we think about this undercurrent concept, that, that's really, really helpful for me, right? Because even though it might be impractical for me to, to speak a prayer at every second, having an undercurrent of prayerfulness that pervades my whole life, like that's much more practical and that's really, really good and really, really helpful. Um, and this was kind of what was reflected in, in my studying. Like there... <laughs> Uh, again, I read a lot of books, I read a lot of commentaries, and they're all way smarter than me. Um, and pretty much every single one of them said that the ideal for, for how to pray without ceasing, how to do that, is that we have like routine prayer times. Like, I'm committing this time in the morning to prayer, I'm committing this time in the evening to prayer. And to do that, and then as we go throughout the day, when, when the undercurrent, undercurrent boils, like flows over and bubbles up, Pray. It's, it's, a, it's a day with set prayer times and, and a current that's running over throughout the day.
Some of you have probably heard of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and I really liked what he said about this passage. He said, some graces, like the lungs, are always in use. I apologize to any of you that now are thinking about the fact that you're breathing and now you're breathing on manual for the next minute and a half. That'll, that'll go away, don't worry. Um, so I hope, I hope this has been helpful so far. I want to summarize what we've talked about and then hopefully give a couple of, of application points, like a, like a take this and live it out. How, how do we keep the undercurrent flowing? Um, but essentially, what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it's, it's illustrating this idea that we are to have currents, and in difficult times, it might look an awful lot like an undercurrent, of rejoicing and prayerfulness that transcend our circumstances. So the final question is, how do we do that? How does that happen? I have two ways. I hope they're helpful. The first way to keep the undercurrent flowing is to live according to a biblical view of joy. To say that another way, live like what the Bible says about joy is true. And that, that's, not, that's not my normal lifestyle. I, I'm going to be totally honest. Like my, my typical lifestyle is to have joy circumstantially. Like When things are going well and when I have like, the, the fleeting emotion of happiness, then I'll be joyful. Like The current will flow when I'm happy. But when something difficult comes and, and anger or sadness or fear creep in, it just, it's like this wall that the joy flows into and just quits. That's like, that's completely intuitive for me. And that's like a really, really fast way to stop the undercurrent. And yet that's not, that's not God's command through Paul. The perspective of Paul in this letter is that we are to continue in joyfulness, even amidst our sadness and anger, that as the joy is flowing and anger and sadness push down, yeah, it might look like an undercurrent for a while. You might not see a lot of joy on my face. And yet... Eventually, the joy bubbles back up and continues. So that's the first, the first one. Uh, live according to a biblical view of joy. And if that was the only one, I think that would be a pretty incomplete answer. Um, I think that that might even sound a little bit callous. Um, because if you take that alone, uh, that could totally sound like I'm saying, just get rid of your anger and sadness. Just don't have them, so then you can experience more joy. Just, just get through it, so you can be joyful. And if that was the biblical teaching, that there was, that there was a transcendent and far-off God who commanded us only to feel joy and positivity, I would agree that that's a little bit insensitive. However, that first point leads into the second. And the second point is this. Give your joy, as well as all of your other emotions, to God. Because, like I said, God is transcendent. But God is not only transcendent. God understands that we experience joy. He understands that we experience sadness. He understands that we have anger. He, he understands it all. And we're not called to just ignore our sadness or ignore our anger and just have joy. We're called to turn our joy, our anger, our sadness, all of it, 
over to the God whose spirit lives inside of us and knows us intimately. And the reason we can do that is ultimately because of where our joy comes from. Like, uh, true joy is not from happy circumstances. True joy is not because of our own striving. True joy is from the Lord himself. It's God himself who gives us strength and who gives us joy. And that's true all of the time. Like, like God, is our, God is our refuge. Like, God is our refuge of joy when our kids graduate, which might have happened to a lot of you. Um, he's our refuge of joy when we ace a test. He, he's the place we find our joy when we run a marathon, which Matt and I are planning to do in a couple of months. Um, in every single one of those situations, ultimately our joy comes from the Lord. But that's true in the reverse case, too, that when our friends and family get sick or die even, God is our source of joy and our refuge. When we lose our jobs, God is the place we find our joy. If we have a major injury, even in that, God is our source of joy. And that's, that's the way I want to close. Like the, that's the exhortation. Like, don't try to keep the current flowing by yourself. Joy ultimately comes from the Lord, and so entrust all of that. Entrust your joy, your anger, your sadness, anything else, all of it. Entrust to the God who is the source of our joy. Because ultimately, the truest joy that we can experience is found in knowing God himself. That's what I have for us this week. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I think we have one more song. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Um, thank you again for being the source of joy. I thank you that that joy can transcend anything we go through and everything we go through. And I pray that we'll seek to grow in that. Let us maintain the undercurrents, keep them flowing, not because of our power, but because of yours. I love you, Lord. Amen.